Welcome back to another episode of the We Know Ball podcast. I'm your host, Jasper Lindsay. Joining with me as always is Gavin Bowman. And Gav, how are we feeling on this Tuesday? Feeling good. We're finally getting those answers we've been asking to, to get for a number of weeks here. Some big movement in the Pac-12, some big movement in the SEC, the ACC too, and uh, the NFL, man. No more undefeated teams. What is going on? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I thought we were talking last week about uh, the two-week deadline of when we'll get some answers in the NFL, and it feels like we got a little more answers, a few more answers in college football this weekend than we did in the NFL, as it has now become just a week-to-week league pretty much, man. I I really just don't know what to expect out of pro football anymore. (laughs) I agree. It seems like um, the kicking situation switched places, too. We had Jake Moody missing field goals left and right. We had – who else is missing field goals? I can't remember. Jake Moody's the first that comes to mind because the Niners obviously losing to the Browns. No one saw that one coming. PJ Walker, XFL passing leader. He's got something to say. He's crazy, man. What a what a week in the NFL. We'll break that down. But first, we got to jump into college football. And it starts with UNC beating Miami by a score of 41 to 31. And Gav, I think it's time to give the Tar Heels their flowers. It absolutely is. They ran the ball all over a very, very good Miami run defense, rushing for 235 total yards, passing for 273, an incredibly balanced attack. This game was over early. You know, the final score, it's 41-31, seems a lot closer than it actually was. For most of this game, this was a three-score game. US UNC dominated. They dominated from the out from the, from the outset, or from the onset, sorry. And didn't let Miami get anywhere close in this game. You can't even blame this one on, on Cristobal. This was just UNC coming out and playing their brand of football. Drake May looks phenomenal, incredibly efficient, not turning the ball over, which is huge. And they look like the number two team in the ACC right now. Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned it. This game's not on Cristobal at all. Obviously, you get into the third quarter. It's like 17-14. You give up 21 unanswered points to the Tar Heels. You're not getting those back. Drake May was phenomenal, as you said. Four touchdowns. Crazy. Three of those touchdowns going to Devontae Walker, though. What a difference does that dude make for this team, man? I mean, this offense looks explosive. The running game got going. Just a huge statement win for UNC. It'll be interesting to see how this team performs going forward because I think they're legit now. I think that Duke game is going to give them some trouble. But other than that, I don't see a whole lot on their schedule that's really going to get in their way. They got Duke on the road? I think, let's see. I think they might have Duke at home. Let's see here. Mm, They're at North Carolina, yeah. So they get Duke at home. That one's going to be a challenge just because that Duke team doesn't give anyone a break. But still, I think UNC has a pretty good chance here to find themselves in the ACC championship game, especially with Louisville falling off this week. Yeah, I don't know. What are your expectations for this UNC team going forward, Gav? Exactly you just said. This schedule sets them up perfectly to – not only get to the ACC championship, but to have a legitimate shot to win it, too. North Carolina's got to win that Duke game first and foremost because Duke's going to want to control the pace of that game. That's how they'll win it. If North Carolina comes out and they're able to run it effectively uh, and more importantly throw it because that Duke pass defense is one of the best in the country, they could be showing us that ACC title game at 12-0. I mean, 11-1 and at worst. They're, they're, they got a very good shot to to put their name in the college football playoff picture. Absolutely. And I've, I'm interested with this Duke team. Just look at their schedule here. 
Because, yeah, they got Florida State coming up and Louisville coming up. If they lose, I think they could lose either one of those games, depending on how they play. But regardless, I'd be scared as a UNC team taking on a Duke team with nothing to play for. If Duke loses to FSU or Louisville and they're out of the ACC playoff picture, I'd be really scared for UNC in that game. Because at that point, Duke's just trying to win their rivalry game and take what they can this season. I agree. <laughs> Both those games being on the road, uh, as you mentioned, it's not going to bode well for the Tar Heels, or sorry, for the Blue Devils, and by proxy, the Tar Heels facing off against a Mike Elko and a Riley Leonard team that's got nothing to play for. Yep, absolutely. All right, moving on to the next game we got on the docket here, and that is UCLA at Oregon State. And Gab, we uh, we were talking about this before the pod, man. It's time to retire those Oregon State unders because this team's all about playing offense now. Yeah, what the fuck happened, man? I, I thought Oregon State was going to come in with his best defense in the back in the Pac-12, but apparently not. They decided that, nah, we're just going to let DJ unleash it and uh, get the run game going in the process, too. So, yeah, this game was all about, well, you know, you look at the stats, and UCLA actually, technically speaking, outplayed Oregon State on offense if you take away the turnovers, <laughs> that was that was the key to this game. Uh, Oregon State forcing three Dante Moore interceptions. And we talked about this, right, ahead of the game in our preview. It's like, is he ready for the big stage to go on the road in a top 25 conference matchup and play a very good Oregon State team that was going to put pressure on him? And ultimately, that's what cost him the game. UCLA actually outgained Oregon State in this one, 453 to 415 yards. They rushed for 284, rushed all over this stout Oregon State run defense. Only threw for 170 yards, which is kind of the opposite of what we come to expect Oregon State. Bottom line, Oregon State gets a great victory here. They held onto the football, won the turnover battle, and picked up a two-touchdown win at home that was much needed because let's not sleep on Oregon State as a potential sleeper to get into the Pac-12 championship in Las Vegas, and here's why. If you look at their schedule for the rest of the season, and Jess, we talked about this during our Pac-12 preview, Oregon State having a very weak Pac-12 schedule in the grand scheme of things. They've got one conference loss. Other teams with conference losses. Oregon with one, Utah with one, UCLA with one, I believe. Let me see. Let me double check that. UCLA has two. They got two. Yes, that's right, because they got beat by Utah and Oregon State. Uh, so Utah, Oregon, Oregon State, all with one conference loss. Washington was zero. And as bad as USC is, they still have zero Pac-12 losses. They only lost Notre Dame, obviously. Oregon State, the rest of the season. Arizona, Colorado, Stanford. Next three games. Washington at home. Let's just chalk that one up as a loss. Let's say, let's say they lose that game. Yeah, and then Oregon and Eugene. Oregon State could be rolling in to Eugene as a two-loss team in the Pac-12, scoring off against an Oregon team, which if Oregon wins out, they got to beat USC first, is a one-loss Pac-12 Oregon team, assuming USC loses multiple times in the Pac-12, and I expect them to because they fucking suck, and assuming Utah gets another loss. That game is to go to the Pac-12 championship. And let's not sleep on the Beavers. They're a very, very good football team. And with their next three games, being against Arizona, Colorado, and Stanford, 
while Oregon has to go to Utah. USC has to play Washington and Oregon, and Utah has to play Washington also. The rest of the Pac-12 is going to eat itself alive, and Oregon State is going to be right there at the end waiting to pounce. I love that take. I mean, we talked about it in the preview, too. I had Oregon State jumping over in that Pac-12 championship game. We'll see if they can do it. I mean, can't sleep on Stanford anymore after that uh, 29-0 comeback. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they're going to have the opportunity to play Oregon. Oregon, it's going to be a matter of – I mean, obviously, we'll, we'll break down the Ducks more coming up here. But for Oregon, I just – yeah, I still don't know with that team. You know, like, they played really well against Washington this weekend. But – I think Oregon State is going to match up extremely well with them on all at on all variations of the field, all levels of the field. What I want to see Oregon State be better at is getting pressure on the quarterback. I mean, obviously, you know, Dante Moore this past weekend didn't play well. Oregon State got after him a little bit, but are, how are they going to hold up against those big offensive lines like Washington, Oregon? That's what I need to see. Probably not well. <laughs> and I only bring it up as a hypothetical. I do think Oregon and Washington are better teams than the Beavers at this point in time. But one off week from Oregon in the Civil War on November 24th, and you got DJ Uyagale and company playing in Las Vegas. I'm scared. I don't know what it is, but I've had my eyes circled on that Washington State-Oregon game. Mm. All year. I think that game could be a major trap for Oregon. Yeah, that's the Saturday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Oregon, Oregon, dude, they're I'm assuming they get to that game with Oregon State as a one-loss Pac-12 team. It's not an easy road for them, man. They got Washington State this weekend. Then they gotta go to Rice Eccles in Utah. And you know how I feel about Utah, but I've also said all season long that they don't lose at home. <laughs> like they're they're not a good football team, but they don't lose at home. So that's it's gonna be a challenge, man. So this is the the part of the season where the Pac-12 just, as they do every year, starts to eat themselves alive, and I think Oregon State is the primary benefactor in that in that picture. We always talk about this with Kentucky and UNC, right? They get to five and zero and they have the fall off. Well, Oregon it usually happens a little later in the year, so they get to like one <laughs> and then the fall off starts. So for Oregon, prove to me that you can hang on here. Prove to me that you can win these games and not fall for the traps like Washington State, USC get to the Civil War, and then whatever happens, happens. I think I love the hypothetical of these two teams playing for the a spot in the Pac-12 championship. I think it absolutely happened. But we could also be here in a situation where it's Oklahoma-Texas again, and it's Oregon-Washington taking it all the way. So we'll see. Correct. We will see. It'll be fun to see the Civil War decide uh, who goes. Oh, yeah, no. For the last year they've played in the Pac-12, too, you couldn't ask for a much better outcome. Oh, yeah. All right. Speaking of another team in the Pac-12 we got to get to before we jump into Oregon, Washington, and that's USC at Notre Dame. Oh, man, this one was bad, Gav. Caleb Williams, he might have just took himself down a peg in the Heisman race. They certainly did. I think Penix is the clear frontrunner now. We were waiting for this. We were waiting for this for a few weeks now. USC has been flirting with danger, starting with Arizona State, then Arizona they finally got exposed. This Notre Dame defense forcing five turnovers. Incredible. I was talking about this with my dad, actually. Like, yeah, Caleb, Caleb had an off game. But let's not pretend like this is Caleb Williams' fault. Yeah, You cannot expect your starting quarterback 
to play flawless football week in and week out if you want to have just a chance to win the game. That is not what top teams in the country do. They are well-rounded, well-oiled machines. So let's not place the blame on Caleb. Did Notre Dame's offense go on an explosion in this game? No, absolutely not. They only generated 251 total yards of offense. But that's not to say that the USC defense held them in check. Like, Caleb Williams was turning it over. The offense was turning it over. Notre Dame had a short field the entire fucking game. That's why they won it. The USC offense was out of sync. But again, you can chalk this loss up to the USC offense, but you can't chalk the season up to the USC offense. I mean, the defense has been forcing the offense to play flawless football, as I said, week in, week out. They're going to have down weeks. And this is what you get when they have one of those down weeks. So for USC moving forward, I just mentioned it. I expected to lose multiple games in the Pac-12. They've got a bye week. No, they don't. They have Utah at home this week. That could pose some problems for a team that is going to out-physical them. Then they get Cal. Then they welcome the Washington Huskies to the Coliseum before they go on the road to Eugene and round up the season with UCLA at the Coliseum. They'll lose two of those games. They'll fall out of the Power 12 championship hunts. This team just isn't well-rounded enough on defense to win the meaningful games. And we saw it this week in Notre Dame. So, yeah, this this was as expected. Notre Dame, nothing to play for the Pac-12 or in the in the college football playoff race anymore, but a good win for them beating their biggest rival coming down the stretch here and maybe salvaging something out of this season. You hit the nail on the head there. I mean, Caleb Williams just has to be exhausted at this point in the season. I mean, he's out there trying to win, do everything he can to win his team games, and he's done it up to this point. Still no losses in the Pac-12, which bodes well for them. But as you said, they got nothing nice coming up on that schedule. A couple other things I saw in this game. I mean, as you mentioned, Notre Dame with the short field. Sam Hartman only thrown for 126 yards. It's pretty easy to get it done when you're already starting your own at the opposing team's 40. But yeah, I mean, you can't turn over the football. I think this is just chalked up to Caleb Williams and this offense being tired of having to carry this team and not being able to do it for, what, the sixth straight week in a row? No, the seventh straight week in a row. Like, you're going to get worn down, especially in this Pac-12 where you're just playing in offensive shootouts. And if you're USC, especially playing in offensive shootouts, you have no business being in. Like Arizona last week, that put the nail in the coffin for them this week, I felt like. That was a game where they should have won handily, taken care of business, got some rest on the way, got their starters some rest. But instead, you got Caleb Williams jogging out there in double overtime to try and win you this game. So, yeah, this game sucks for USC. They're definitely going to lose more here going forward. Luckily, though, for them, it was not in the Pac-12 as much as we all wish it was. <laughs> Don't worry. Those losses are coming soon, as we just said. But, I, yeah, I, I think we're on the same page here with it, it, it looks worse than it actually – I mean, it was a horrible game, but can't say it wasn't expected. And I, I'm not going to be concerned that the USC offense turned the ball over five times. Like, it's it, it's it's one of those games they happen, and it, it comes from exhaustion, as you said, with having to carry the fucking load all season long. Yeah. I mean, there was just nothing nice for them. No. All right, that's enough USC talk for now. Let's jump over to this Oregon-Washington game. And, yeah, this was probably the game of the year, or at least the game of the season. I mean, you have Washington beating Oregon 36-33. to Coming down to a field goal late, Oregon misses NFL style. Uh, we'll see. I mean, what do you see in this one? I saw the game of the year, in the very least, the Pac-12. 
more than likely in all of college football. Two incredible teams battling it out till the very end. And these are the two best teams in the Pac-12. It's, it's not close. Like, I, I, I really hope that Oregon wins out and doesn't make that game in Eugene against the Beaver contest because I want to see this rematch in Las Vegas where the winner more than likely goes to the college football playoff. We saw a, two explosive offenses. We expected to see two explosive offenses. Michael Penix throwing for 316, doing his thing, throwing one pick, but oh well, his Oregon defense is very good. Bo Nix taking care of the football. This Oregon offense did not turn the football over once. They turned it over on downs, and that'll be a controversial topic of discussion with Dan Lanning going for it on fourth and three and not getting it towards the end of the game there. But I'm okay with it. You want to ice the game there in Washington? Like, put your nuts on the table, Dan. I, I don't hate it one bit. Like, you you, you come back down the field, give yourself a chance to win. What I don't like was I think the Oregon offense had a chance to get more yards before kicking that last minute, the last second field goal, and they just didn't. I think that could have been a 30-yarder as opposed to a 40. Makes it a whole different, whole different kick. But, yeah, two great offenses. I know we talked about the defenses coming in. I mean, it was just – it was a tough day to slow down either offense once they got going. Oregon incredibly balanced, 337 through the air, 204 on the ground. Pretty much did whatever they wanted. This game was all about Michael Penix and the offense, just not turning it over except for the one the one interception and getting it done when they needed to get it done, making the clutch plays, a back-and-forth battle, and it came down to Washington scoring that last-minute touchdown. Yeah, and not just Michael Penix getting it done in the air. I think this game was won in the four-down four down offense. I mean, Washington converted two of three, Oregon 0 of three, and those led to point opportunities for Washington and missed opportunities for Oregon. I think Dan Lanning really expected to win this game. I'm not going to lie. And that's why I think their schedule gets even scarier for me, is I think Dan Lanning came into this game thinking he was going to win. He has... I don't think he had a game plan to lose this game. So seeing how they rebound this next week is going to be a big deal for me. I need them to see them crush a Washington State team that has taken a step back. I mean, Cam Ward, obviously, we see what happens now when you get pressure on him. If you get pressure on Cam Ward, he's going to get uncomfortable back there, and it's going to be a lot harder for him to get the game, to get to throw the football downfield the way he wants to. So we're going to have an opportunity here to bounce back in a big way. As for Washington, I mean, what else can be said about this team? I said they're going to need to run the football a little bit if they want to win this game. They absolutely did with Dellen Johnson. Roma Odunze is awesome. Jalen Polk, awesome. Giles Jackson. I mean, this team just probably has the best receiving group in college football. There's nothing more you can say about it. They are unreal. Their defense played well enough for them to win. But, yeah, I mean, this game just came down to who could get it done in the nitty-gritty. And for now, that's Washington. I would love to see a rematch. Yeah, right there with you. You mentioned the the two of three on, on fourth down for Washington. Let's not forget that the one they missed was a fourth and one on the one-yard line, fourth and goal. Incredible stuff the Oregon defense there. It didn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but imagine if they had converted that. This game would have been a, a, lot, a lot more distanced, so to speak. But uh, I like the take on Dan Lanning not having a game plan for if they lost this game. The game plan is go out there and win out, <laughs> like get back to Vegas, get a second shot at Kalen DeBoer and this Washington offense. If they do, they'll probably sneak into the college ball playoff if they win that game. 
All right. Well, that rounds out our breakdown of the initial games of the weekend. And now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, winners and losers. Gav, start me off here. How can the first winner not be Michael Penix Jr. solidifying himself as the front runner in the Heisman race, getting his marquee win, Caleb Williams with a down week, Michael Penix, the Heisman is yours to lose. Absolutely. My winner's first winner of the week is the top four teams in the nation. That's Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, FSU. All dominated their games this weekend. Feels like these teams are really starting to round into form with some tough matchups ahead especially for Ohio State and Michigan, who both have to take on Penn State coming up here soon and each other on the horizon. Yeah, I still think Florida State's a Mickey Mouse top four team, but they'll be exposed soon enough. Go Tar Heels. For my (laughs) second winner, going to be Houston football. Did you see that Hail Mary they pulled off on Friday night? Oh, yeah. Fucking awesome. Getting a big win at home. A new Big 12 team taking down a team that was first in the Pac-12 or in the Big 12, believe it or not. Uh, the West Virginia Mountaineers, they hadn't lost in the Big 12 all year. Their first loss comes to the hands of one of its newest members. Good for you, Houston football. Good for Houston, also good for West Virginia, man. That's a team we heavily underrated heading into this season. They're playing really good on the football well. All right, my next winner is the Duke Blue Devils. I mean, they survive a trap game at NC State. Obviously, no Riley Leonard. But, I mean, they still went out there and they got a win against a really good defense. They're still sitting at zero ACC losses on the year and hopefully get Riley Leonard back next week to take on FSU in a prove-it game for the Seminoles. Third and final winner on my end, going to go with the Tulane Green Wave. Back in the top 25 this week, back in the pole position to get through New Year's Six Bowl game for the second consecutive year. Hats off Tulane. Michael Pratt, back playing some good football, too. So look out for this Green Wave team, man. Uh, you look great against Memphis, especially in a the game they had to come from behind from. Mm-hmm. All right. I know we got a couple of Hawkeye fans that listen to the podcast, so it's your time to shine. My last winner is the Iowa Hawkeyes. They play the most boring brand of football in the country, but it works. I mean, they put on a special teams master class. Shout out Tory Taylor. He might be the best punter in the country and in an alternate universe, a Heisman candidate. But, uh, <laughs> Dude, he was he was the best player on the field. It was incredible. Oh, no, it was crazy. I mean, Wisconsin, how bad do you have to be? But I mean, we were trapped in our own uh reds or uh close to our own end zone the whole game because uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, Iowa came out, they ran the football, they played defense, they controlled the game on special teams, and now they control their own destiny in the West. So props to the Hawkeyes. Props to the Hawkeyes. Don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, Tory Taylor, man, that guy's incredible. He'll be kicking on Sundays pretty soon. Oh, 100%. Hopefully for the Raiders, because we're going to have a lot of punters rolling through here in the next couple of years. Uh, <laughs> which brings us to the losers of the week. And I'll start us off here with teams I thought were legit. Three come to mind here, Gavin. That's Louisville, Kentucky, and Washington State. Turns out you get a little pressure on Cam Ward. He forgets how to play quarterback. But I think for me, the most disappointing team has to be Louisville. I mean, you go from the highs of beating a Notre Dame team to losing to a Pitt team without Phil Jerkovich. I mean, yikes. I'm going to go on a similar note for losers with teams that I was waiting for their collapse, expected their collapse, and I can finally just rejoice that it happened. Louisville being one of those teams, I expected them to get pounced on by Notre Dame two weeks ago. Didn't happen, but more importantly, Coach Prime, man, what are we doing? 
What are we doing, Coach Prime? 29 to 0 at home against Stanford? You are my first loser of this week. Your team sucks. But no, in honesty, I mean, horrible, horrible collapse. That's the real loser. Coach Prime isn't the real loser because give it a couple of years and Colorado will be legitimate, legitimate contender in that Big 12 conference. Not just in that Big 12 conference, I think in college football, they're going to start to recruit those big guys up front, and it's going to be pretty unreal down in Buffalo. Yeah. Or down in Boulder. Um, Yeah, my second lose of the week is Cam Rising, because where the hell is this guy? I mean, it feels like every week they just tease us, oh, he's going to play, or Whittingham goes, oh, we're going to make a decision Thursday. I see a million clips of this dude warming up and practicing. Just admit y'all got the timetable wrong on this injury and move on. This is ridiculous. I'm tired of the Cam Rising tease, or like, yeah, the Cam Rising tease. I'm done with it. Mm-hmm. Hey, where is he? Seriously, and they got a tough, tough, tough yeah. part of the schedule coming up where they need some wins to stay in the Pac-12 race. We'll see if he comes back. My second loser, I mentioned Michael Penix Heisman Heisman race as a winner. Caleb Williams Heisman race as has to be a loser. I mean, it 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 certainly takes a hit. He's down, but not out. He can still come back and win this thing, but certainly down. He's gonna have to play some flawless football going forward and get a few marquee wins. I love that take. My last take is losers for. Peyton Thorne, you stink, and I don't want to see you throw the football anymore. That's all I have written down here. That entire Auburn QB room is a fucking disaster. But I'll keep my third loser short and sweet. My my personal take on Miami, that's a loser. I mean, they're, they're done. They, they couldn't cover anybody. <clears throat> they couldn't stop the run. Crystal ball sucks. I'm done backing this team. Miami, you're on my shit list. Man, is Miami on the no bet list now, too, or just the shit list? No, no, just a shit list. Just a shit list. They... Cristobal fucking sucks, man. Yeah. Speaking of picks, I had another down weekend in college football, but Gav got back up to two and one, so he's he's keeping us afloat for now. Yep. Notre Dame came in with a big win for me. Um, I had the Oregon State under. Me and Jasper talked earlier before the pod. We're putting those to bed. Those aren't going to happen anymore. They decided we're not playing defense. Uh, and then I also had Missouri Moneyline. We were uh, on opposite sides there, but Brady Cook got it done for me. Yeah, no, I mean, I was wrong about Mizzou. They might, they're probably the second best team in the East. If we're, or they're in the West. I don't know where they are. Who cares? They're in the East, but they, they got a, they got a serious fucking, uh, Belindikoff candidate out there. Yeah. I mean, Luther Burden might be the best receiver in college. Yeah. He's, he's incredible. Um, yeah. I mean, as you said, we're putting the Oregon State unders to bed. Watch us bedding over though, and they go right back to playing defense. I feel like we're just never gonna be able to catch that team this year. I think we're are we zero and three betting on them? Uh, uh, probably, probably <laughs> something like that. I think I might have given out the um. Oh no, you had them last week when they beat uh who they beat. Yeah, I, I had them at two and a half against Utah. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, yeah, no, I don't mind betting on the Beavers, the team, but their their totals are getting put to bed because I have no idea what they're going to produce week in, week out. All right, jumping over to the NFL, and we had a pretty decent weekend here, man. I mean, I don't know if we got all the answers we really wanted because some of the undefeated teams lost. I mean, we got an answer for the Eagles. They are not as good as we think they are. And the Niners, I mean, I'm just going to write that one off as a one-off. Regardless, crazy weekend in the NFL. I mean, it feels like we're just the AFC North podcast at this point, the way we talk about (laughs) them. But... There's something crazy happens every week. So we're going to see how it pans out. And we got to start with 
your Seahawks taking on the Bengals, and the Bengals getting a pretty good win here, Gav. Ah, I mean, on paper, in the long run, it'll look like a good win, sure, but how the Seahawks didn't win this game is beyond me. I mean, they, the Bengals handed us this football game time and time again. Uh, in, in all truth, I didn't get a chance to see most of the game. I was out driving all over the place, driving back and forth to Milwaukee, but what I did see was the Seahawks get down inside the five-yard line on three occasions and come away with three total points. Unacceptable in the National Football League if you're looking to actually win football games. Ridiculous. Geno ends up throwing two interceptions. The one in the red zone was one of those times that we were down in the five, didn't score. Defense held up nice. I mean, I expected Joe Burrow to have all day and to throw all over us. It wasn't exactly that. Um, Bengals were able to move it semi-decently, but held Burrow to under 200 yards passing. Uh, they were only able to run the ball for 46 yards. Yeah, actually, I take that back. Our defense stymied them, man. You, you look at this fucking – these stats. 381 total yards for the Hawks to Cincinnati's 214. We lost the turnover battle 2-1. to one. We won the time of possession battle 34 minutes to 26 minutes. Like, we dominated all over the place. We had more penalties and we had more turnovers. And that was ultimately the difference in this game. We just got converted in the red zone, and this game isn't close in the Seahawks' favor. Yeah, I mean, that was the biggest thing. That interception was killer at the five. Um, yeah, I don't really have a ton to say about this game. I thought both teams played – I mean, the Seahawks played well enough to win, as you said. But do you think this is a worse loss for the Seahawks or a bigger win for the Bengals in the grand scheme of things? <laughs> it's funny you ask that question now because hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? But – on, on the preview, I was talking about, oh, this is a huge, huge game for the Bengals. Like, they cannot lose this game and go to two and four. But on the Seahawks side of things, if we lose this game, it's like, oh, so, you know, oh, well, like, we'll be three and two. We're still in a wild card spot. The Niners are still a team to beat in our in our division. After seeing how this game played out, it's it's a worse loss to the Seahawks because the Bengals didn't come out and make a statement. Like, the, the Bengals didn't win this game. They just not lost it if that makes sense the Bengals didn't win the Seahawks lost this game like that that's how I saw it going so yeah bad loss for Seattle but in the grand picture probably a bigger win for Cincinnati because as I said on the preview avoiding the two and four start is huge for this team that still has aspirations to compete not only in the in the AFC but in the entire NFL and for Seattle sitting at three and two would it be nice to be a four and one and be tied at the top of the conference? Obviously, but we're probably not catching the Niners realistically. We just need to sneak into the playoffs and hope we can make a run uh, through the wild card. Yeah, hundred percent. All right. Well, let's jump over to the other big story in the AFC North this weekend, and that is the Browns without Deshaun Watson taking down the Niners in a game where. They outgained the Niners offensively in every category, and I, I mean, that's crazy to think about. You know what, Jasper? We should have been talking about this game as a potential, not a trap game for the Niners, but like going into Cleveland in cold, wet conditions against a very, very good Cleveland Browns defense. 
this had all the fucking reminiscence, if I, if that's even a word. This made me think about the Bears game last year for the Niners and, that, and Trey Lance's first start. A fucking monsoon game where you know one team is better than the other, but it just so happened that the Warriors team comes with a win because they played some good defense and the conditions just fell into their favor. But you're right. This is the first game we really saw the Niners offense slow down. It wasn't the juggernaut we'd, uh, we had been accustomed to seeing the first couple of weeks. And hats off to P.J. Walker for taking care of the football and getting this team to where they needed to get to this week in order to come away with a win. I don't know about taking care of the football for P.J. Walker. He had two picks, but you're absolutely right. Pardon I mean, me. They just Pardon play- me. Hats, off to this, hats off to this defense. Pardon me. I mean, they just played a gritty game. And the Niners, I mean, they played Cleveland. what Cleveland Browns football is going to be this year, and that is just running the football down your throat and trying to stop you on offense. And they did. I mean, this is Brock Purdy's first loss in a regular season as a starter. Yep. yep. I mean, they stopped Brock Purdy, wet conditions, obviously. Losing Christian McCaffrey hurt this team 100%. There's no doubt about it. But, I mean, the Niners drive down the field late. You think they have the win locked up. Then P.J. Walker comes back, and they get it done with that kick. And Jake Moody just ends up missing the game-winning field goal. So, I mean, the Niners were in this game. I'm not too worried about them. I mean, you were absolutely right. This feels like a trap game, especially coming off last week's huge win against Dallas. You got to assume the Niners were going to take a step back just because of how bad they beat Dallas. I mean, that was pretty crazy. I don't know if we can expect it, but I, I do think we should have seen at least a little bit, a little bit of a step back coming, um, given the conditions, given being on the road, given the brand of football the Cleveland Browns play. But even if I'm sitting here talking about it, like I'm not worried about the Niners. Obviously, they'll be fine moving forward. Uh, this offense is still incredibly explosive. Brock Purdy still a very good quarterback. They still have the best roster on paper in the National Football League. This is one of the games where. This is a much bigger win for the Browns than it is a big loss for the 49ers. The Browns are able to keep pace in the AFC North that gets tighter and tighter by the week. Uh, and without a Sean Watson, too. So I, I don't know what's going on in the North, man. It's it's just starting to baffle me freaking day in, day out, or week in, week out. But hey, you got four teams that are legitimately vying for a playoff spot, and it should be it should make for a fun race coming down the stretch. Oh man, those week that week nine through like seventeen is going to be unreal. Um, another team we got to <laughs> talk about. Another team we got to talk about in the north though is the Baltimore Ravens because obviously this was London. Obviously they're a little jet lagged, but this game was a pretty ugly win. It felt like for Baltimore, taking on the Titans, finishing it off twenty four sixteen. Yeah, sticking to the theme of good win versus bad loss. This this one felt like the end of the Tennessee Titans more so than the Ravens getting a good win. You know what I mean? Like Brian Tannehill goes eight of 16 for less than a hundred yards and one pick suffers a high ankle sprain. Malik Willis, Willis came in and actually threw for almost as many yards as Tannehill on only five attempts, which is pretty crazy to think about King Henry doing his best to keep them in the game to no avail. This Titans team just lacks weapons all over the field. And after what we saw with the Jags this weekend and, and the Texans too, it, it really seems like the Titans are just a step behind in that division. On the flip side, win the games you should win, right? Like that that's what the name of the game is for that moving forward. Win the games you need to win. 
That's how you're going to take care of business in this AFC North. Pick up a couple of wins in the division, and they will be in the playoffs come February. But, yeah, this game was all about how bad the Titans looked. Uh, just sloppy all around. And I, I, I expect them to continue their downfall moving forward. Yeah, same. I mean, hopefully we can see Will Levis get in there and maybe he plays well for them. This team needs a quarterback bad, especially with no playmakers on the field. But, I mean, I think I'm a little concerned for the Ravens just because it feels like a lot of their wins this year have been just ugly games and their losses (laughs) have been – they've played the same way and lost the game. So, I mean, I think you can't keep relying on Lamar to win you these games as much as that has to be your game plan for now. I think eventually Todd Munkin's offense will get going, but – I just I'd hate to see the Ravens just play ugly football all year and then get sent home in the wild card. I think that's my fear with this team. Well, I, th- I think it's worth a discussion. Like, what what constitutes a successful season for this Ravens team? You know what I mean? Like, I obviously they want to win the Super Bowl, but I just don't think the talent's there right now for them to win the Super Bowl. So, I mean, is it getting to the AFC Championship? Is it getting past the wild card round? Like. I mean, you 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 said it. It's, it's sloppy week in week out. So I, I'm just not seeing the growth, so to speak, from a Ravens team that I want to see from a team that's going to contend for uh for a Super Bowl in the near future. Yeah, I mean, they need to get to a Super Bowl at least one with Lamar. He is too talented a quarterback for them to not. But as you said, like we just don't know what this team is, and then obviously the Steelers are still hanging around there. So AFC North can be interesting going forward. Nope. Yeah, the the competitive factor is going to be big for the Ravens because they're going to need to keep winning games to be competitive in this division, uh, which should help them, especially on the offense side of things. Yeah, absolutely. All right, moving on to the other big upset from this weekend, and that is the Eagles going down to the Jets at MetLife Stadium, and the Jets are somehow back to 500, Gavin. Jets are back to 500, and... You know what? I'm going to pat myself on the back here. Is it time to start believing me that maybe the Eagles aren't as good as we thought they are? They're not this juggernaut team. Like, Jalen Hurts is finally, finally, finally playing some halfway decent defenses, man. And when that happens, the offense struggles to move the ball just a little bit. Uh, they, they've been getting – I mean, hold on, who, who have they played this year? It's been – let me see. The Pats – Week one against the Pats, where they were the benefactor of two early debacles by the Patriots offense. But other than that, statistically, they lost that game by two touchdowns. Then they got the Vikings, cupcake defense. The Buccaneers couldn't move the ball on offense, 25-11 final score. Commanders, cupcake defense. Rams, they put up 23 points, ain't nothing to write home about. And finally, the Jets, probably the best defense they've played all year going down in heartbreaking fashion. And yeah, man, I, I'm ready to start talking about this Eagles team as like, it, obviously they're, they're, they're still contenders in the NFC. I'm not going to be the one to sit here and say they're not, but three picks from Jalen and, and he's their leading rusher with 47 yards on the ground. I I don't think that's a recipe for success moving forward. Like you got to get DeAndre Swift more involved in the ground game and you got to protect the football better because obviously it doesn't matter who you're playing, but Zach Wilson, if it's looking Patrick Mahomes, you turn the football over and you're going to lose more often than not. Yeah. And I think 
Obviously, getting the ground game going is so tough because I feel like so much of what they do is relying on the offensive line. And the offensive line has been great this year. Don't get me wrong. But I think at some point we're going to have to see a running back out of this room step up and really take control. And Swift's done that. But how much of that is just because the Eagles make those wide gaps against bad teams for him, you know? Sure, sure. It's certainly worth a discussion and a, and and bring up that question. But I, I think you got to just – try to establish a run game more, you know, because I, I really do think when push comes to shove and you force Jalen Hurst to throw the football in order to win a football game, <clears throat> I don't think that's the Eagles identity. I really don't. Yeah. And I think another big thing for me with this offense is where has Devonta Smith been? It's been the AJ Brown, Jalen Hurts show the past couple of weeks. And if you get one dimensional, man, you're not going to win games in this league. And you kind of saw that. I mean, Jalen Hurts stat line, 280 yards, one touchdown, three picks. That's not going to get it done, especially if you're only targeting one guy. you got to spread the ball around. This offense has too many weapons to be playing this poorly. And, I mean, yeah, there's nothing about this game screams Jets won. You know, like they played well defensively, don't get me wrong. But if Jalen Hurts protects the football, they could score. I mean, three of those drives, you got to assume oh, yeah. they get us another score. Yeah, I mean, turn turnover battle was – four to zero in favor of the jets like you're you're not gonna win football games playing that brand and you're right they gotta get Devontae smith involved spread the ball more that game against the rams offense looked pretty decent they were getting dallas goddard involved all over the place it sure seems like jasper since the uh aj brown blow up on the sidelines with jalen hurts he's been getting the ball a lot more at the expense of some other guys in this team yeah, and I think at the expense of the team itself. I mean, mm-hmm. you know where the ball's going. It's going to be easier to defend. Correct. Correct. I think my I think my question coming out of this one is, do you think this loss is a one-off for the Eagles, or do you think this is what we're going to come to expect if this team can't get it going? Let me see their schedule. <laughs> uh, yeah. I know we both like Dallas to win that AFC or the NFC East, but I mean – I just feel like the Eagles team has too much talent. Let me just put it this way. If they don't figure it out in terms of the turnovers and in creating a more balanced attack on offense over the next seven weeks, oh, listen to this schedule they got coming up. They got Miami this week, followed by on the road at Washington, followed by the Cowboys, followed by a bye. Then they go on the road to Kansas City, at home against Buffalo, at home against San Francisco, on the road to Dallas, on the road to Seattle. Oh, my God. They're going to get tested over the course of the next eight weeks, and I am fucking here for it, man. I am excited to see what they, what comes out of the next eight weeks for Philadelphia. Oh, same. I mean, if this team doesn't improve, it's the Niners conference to lose. I think it already is, but yeah. this is this is their chance to prove that there's they're still here and this is the same uh it, like everyone thought this team was a juggernaut last year. Like they they they're looking to prove that they're still that juggernaut. I'm not buying it, but they have the chance to prove it to me coming up here in the next eight weeks. Oh, I could easily talk myself back into the Eagles being contenders if they beat Miami. <laughs> I'm going to see it more than just Miami because that's a defense that can get exposed. 
I'm looking at this one, two, three, four, five, six, six week stretch, Dallas, Kansas city, Buffalo, San Francisco, Dallas, Seattle, like Dallas, Kansas city, Buffalo, San Francisco, Dallas, especially those are defenses that I, I expect to hold the Eagles in check and potentially win that turnover battle. Hey, we said it's a week-to-week league, and it feels like the Eagles are a definition of the week-to-week team. So Yeah, they, they embody the NFL week-to-week standard. Yeah. All right, that wraps up our Eagles talk, but it's time for a new segment, and that is the McDaniel Minute, where I go over Josh McDaniel's performance this weekend. So let's talk. Take it away. How the hell is Jimmy Garoppolo worse than Brian Hoyer? That's my first question I need to start off with. What? I mean, Hoyer came out and he went 6 of 10 for 102 yards. Jimmy, 14 of 22 for 162, one touchdown interception. Devontae Adams is pissed off at this team. We won the game and you could just see the cameras panned him on the sideline and he is just shaking his head constantly. Yeah, Josh Jacobs got going for 77 yards, but he averaged 3.1 yards a carry. You are supposed to be the offensive mastermind behind the Patriots dynasty and we struggled to score 21 points in this game. This is embarrassing. I hate this team, man. I mean, I'm at the point where I was watching this game, Gav, in the third quarter, and it was, what was the score? It was 10 to 16, and I was actively rooting for us to lose because this game does nothing for us. We get back to 500, and we're just sitting there, no identity, an offense that can't score, a team chock full of talent. I mean... I'll take I'll take the defense. The defense looked good. Max Crosby's playing better. Patrick Graham's taking a step forward. But we're just buying Josh McDaniel's time he doesn't deserve. And it sucks. I hate this team. Um, it's waning on my love of football and the Raiders. I don't know how much longer I have left before I go into the transfer portal as a fan. If Josh McDaniels, if I have to sit through another year of Josh McDaniels coaching football, I, I might have to not be a Raiders fan anymore. This is just ridiculous. I hate this. Yeah, uh, that ends my minute of Josh McDaniel rant. Might have been two, regardless. Fuck me. Uh, well, I got two thoughts. One, the Seahawks fan base will gladly welcome you with open arms if you do decide to, uh, to enter the transfer portal. Uh, but two, let, let, let's hope he gets the can and we can just have the biggest celebration of all time uh, upon Josh McDaniel's firing. We'll have to throw you like a mega party for that. Like bigger yeah. than your fucking wedding, man. That'll, that'll be fuck, the, the best day in the world. But yeah, I mean, no reason to actually break down this Raiders game <laughs> because it's just a battle of mediocrity. How you guys are sitting at three and three is beyond me. That 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 would actually that would genuinely piss me off as a Raiders fan. Yeah, right. Like it's it's three wins where, and obviously there's like we could be sitting at four and two right now if we do a couple more things right against the Steelers. I think the only loss where we've really really been out of it has been the Chargers and who else did we play? Who else did we lose to? I'm like losing my shit at this point. Uh, here, hold up. It was we lost to the Chargers, the Steelers. Oh, and the Bills. Yeah, we were never beating the Bills. I mean that that game I can walk out fine with. But yeah, I think it would actually be worse if we were four and three and we beat the Steelers and we were somehow still in this. If I mean we are still see this team just it breaks my brain. I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> How about uh, how about leading receiver Michael Mayer though getting involved the rookie tight end? That's huge. We needed Michael Mayer to get involved. I mean, he was kind of just running. He was he was playing the Kyle Pitts role for us, where he was just kind of blocking here and there, and then just running up and down the field all game, getting some cardio in. So. 
we'll see what happens, man. I mean, this offense, as I as I've mentioned all year, it has the potential to be dynamic. There's a lot of talent on it, but our offensive line sucks, and Jimmy Garoppolo's horrible. I mean, everyone was saying after he got his back hurt and he went to the hospital, like, oh, we dodged a bullet. We didn't dodge a bullet. We didn't dodge shit. We have to run Jimmy Garoppolo out there every week and hope he does something not stupid. I mean, he's worse than Derek Carr. It's crazy to me. He's worse than Derek Carr. We were talking about a lateral move. This is a regression. We're gonna need the uh we're gonna need the McDaniel five minutes from here on out, man. I'm having a great time right now. All right, yeah, I gotta stop. I gotta stop because we gotta talk about the Cowboys and their bounce back against the Chargers last night. So Cowboys defeat the Chargers, they get the bounce back when they needed after last week's ugly loss. And Dak Prescott finally outdueled someone, Gav. Dak Prescott won the Cowboys this game. We we get to say it. Yeah, we finally get to say it. I'm still I'm 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 still like skeptically optimistic with this team because I'm I'm gonna need to see it more consistently before I really, really buy in. And I, I bought in preseason. I was I was all for it. But can we take a minute to just talk about how Brandon Staley should be taking my fucking order at Chick-fil-A, man? This guy is horrible like really really bad man like another just coaching masterclass on how not to manage a game but enough i'm done hating on him because what else needs to be said let's fucking go dad hey we averaged 9.1 yards per completion in this one that is up from the 6.7 he's been averaging all year that is fucking huge still not great in terms of efficiency, 21 of 30, QBR of only 59.7, but no picks. And they got the ball downfield a little bit. Got CD involved finally, 7 for 117. Looks very, very good. Uh, got Tony Pollard involved through the passing game. Obviously, he had that big one that accounted for most of his yards, but five more receptions to go on top of that. And this Dallas defense playing like the Dallas defense that we've come to expect, brushing off that loss to San Francisco last week as a one-off and holding a very, very good Chargers offense in check for pretty much the entire game. Dallas is right back in this. They sit one game behind Philly in the NFC East. And if they can play this brand of football moving forward, they're going to be a very, very dangerous threat in the NFC conference. Yeah, and I mean, it's crazy how getting your best receiver involved actually wins you football games. Who'd have thought? Right, crazy concepts. Um, my big takeaway from this game was the missed opportunities by Justin Herbert. He had a couple of overthrows where guys were wide open downfield, especially Keenan Allen, where I think there were, could have been a couple more touchdowns than they got. Obviously, I mean, Brandon Staley sucks. He's horrible. He mismanages his team. He holds Justin Herbert, who is a generational talent at quarterback. Back, uh, quarterback back, horrible word choice there. We're moving on. (laughs) Um, But I think my biggest takeaway from this one is the Cowboys are the Eagles. They play good defense, and they do just enough on offense to win games, and that's what it's going to be like all year. And we're going to see these two teams battle it out for that finals, for that spot in the uh, for that top spot in the NFC East. Yeah, I don't really have much else to say about this game other than the Chargers just look meh. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more, honestly. I'm trying to find ways to, you know, look at this game and really break it down and say this and that and this caused that, but you hit it on the head. I mean, missed opportunities in this Chargers offense, 
uh, a Dallas defense that kept them in the game for the offense to play just good enough to win. I'm looking at this Dallas team moving forward because I've never been in on the Chargers, so I couldn't care less. But I've been in on Dallas, and they don't have the easiest schedule in the world either. No. But over the next five weeks, they need to win at least four of these games. They have a bye. They have well, I guess six because they have a bye week this week. But looking ahead to two weeks, the two weeks from now when they come off the bye, they get the Rams at home. They got to win that game. Then they go on the road to Philly the next week. That's the one game where I don't think they need to win it. But if they do, oh man, Stephen A. Smith is going to be uh, having. He, he's going to be getting chewed the fuck out. Then these games, they need to win all these games. Giants, Panthers, Commanders. Between the Rams, Eagles, Giants, Panthers, Commanders, the Cowboys need to go at least 4-1. and one. And I want to see them open up the offense in that game. They have the opportunity to against teams like the Giants, against teams like the Panthers, against teams like the Commanders. They need to open it up, work the ball downfield, continue to get CD involved, and score some fucking points. And that's when the rest of the league will take notice that okay, this team has the potential to be very, very dangerous. Yeah, 100%. I think the Commanders game scares me the most. I feel like that's a game where anything can happen because <laughs> when you step on the field against the Commanders, anything can happen. So It's very true. They, they get them at home, which is big. but um, That is huge for them. Uh, that Eagles game is going to be fascinating. I, I cannot wait to watch that game. Um, but, yeah, the Cowboys, I mean, they are they got a good defense, man. There's no doubt about it. They just need to play as a unit, and McCarthy needs to find a way to motivate those guys. I mean, that's what it comes down to because McCarthy's out if he can't win with this team. Correct. And they need to win those games that I mentioned because the back half of their season, well, the back third, Seahawks, Eagles, Bills, Dolphins, Lions, Commanders. Oh. They get Seahawks, Eagles, Bills, oh. Dolphins, Lions in a five-week stretch. That is fucking brutal. We'll see how they respond. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, they they need to get it together these next couple of weeks so they can be playing their best football coming down the stretch here. You think Jerry Jones has a heart attack if the Cowboys go eight and eight? <laughs> Probably, and it might be good for uh, good for the organization in general. It gets some new some new blood in there, so to speak. <laughs> Isn't it uh, Jerry Jones' son who he just never lets do anything up next? Yeah. Yeah, correct. Oh, that dude takes over. The Cowboys are going to be – he's just going to go all out. He's going to go uh, Dave Dombrowski on him. <laughs> that would be fucking hilarious. He's going to go crazy. <laughs> My father's dead. I finally get the job. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to spend some money. Yeah. All right. Jumping into picks. Gav, you went two and one. I went another – I had another one and two day. Um, who'd have thought the Bears wouldn't cover against the Vikings? That was that was an oversight by me. Um, yeah, they 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 probably should have, in all honesty, man. I yeah. mean, yeah, just a shit show of a game. I still think the Vikings finish at the bottom of that division. They're they're that bad. Yeah. Uh, just an off week for the Bears. The Bears will pick up a win here and there. Um, yeah, I went two and one. Texans money line cash it. Ravens, Titans, under 42. Sweaty, but cash it. And then the Seahawks, Bengals, over 45. They only scored 30, but that game could easily soar over if we just convert in the fucking red zone. Yeah. 
like like I said, we went we we got inside the five three times, came away with three points. If we come away with seventeen points, cash it. You know what I mean? So uh, I, I'm okay losing that one. Two and one back in the saddle, feeling good. Yeah, I really got to go back to the drawing board this week. I need I think I need a six and zero oh week. I haven't had one of those in a while. Um, I'm gonna be in the lab studying for y'all, and we'll uh, we'll see you Thursday for yet another weekend preview. Should be a good yes, one. Sir.